Welcome to the Edge of NFT podcast with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. We aim to bring you not only the top 1% of what's going on with NFTs today, but what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts in the business side, but also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the futurists and dreamers, the disruptors and creators, the fans and connectors, and the makers and doers that are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features guests Fred Krueger and Corey Larson. Fred Krueger is managing partner at Soft Atom, an investment company focused on the NFT space and the Proton blockchain. Fred is also a nine-time founder with multiple exits in the social networking, advertising, and casual gaming space. His lifelong career in tech is directly responsible for over half a billion dollars of company-created value and growing. Corey Larson is the chief product officer for Metal and Proton. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys have been busy. All of a sudden, what you guys are doing with NFTs is the talk of the town. But what's going on there? Corey, we've been building for, you know, the last couple of years. I mean, you know, building this new blockchain. And basically, we've been setting up this infrastructure for quick transactions, low fees. And then this is exactly where NFTs are kind of heading right now. Yeah, I mean, look, we've had this blockchain. We have this platform, right, which is the first real cryptocurrency platform that actually works. I mean, there's a lot of great platforms. There's things that have great, huge market caps, but then you actually go and download the wallet and you can't do anything, right? And so what we did is we built the very first wallet on EOS uh, blockchain called Lynx. It was a, you know, 100,000 people downloaded that wallet and used it. We had a huge ecosystem with different apps on Lynx. And we merged with a company called Metal and... You know, we further developed this product. So the, this product has evolved into a new blockchain called Proton. It has different layers to it, right? So there's the actual blockchain, which we've improved on EOS. Uh, we have identity in the blockchain. We have different resource models. So you never run out of CPU or RAM or anything like that. And then we built these wallets on top of it, which allow you to very easily send coins, uh, receive coins, but also they allow you to communicate with the blockchain through what we call Proton signing requests, which is basically like, you don't need a MetaMask, you don't need a Chrome plugin anymore. You just scan a QR code and that authenticates you. And then you get these pushes right into your mobile wallet that says, pay for this, pay for that, authorize this. And so you're basically only using your mobile wallet as your sole source of your sole keys. And it's all pushed into your wallet, right? That's this whole system we built. On top of that, there's this whole, you know, there's a lot of wallets in particular, like the Wax wallet's a pretty good example. And we actually were working with Wax three years ago with Lynx, but like many of these cryptocurrencies, they have a token like Wax, which is very hard to get. So we wanted to make a token that's very easy to convert. So basically we built this sort of a Uniswap right inside of our wallet. And we allow you to just directly intake Ethereum, Bitcoin, uh, a lot of different currencies, EOS, Chainlink, a bunch of things. And you can swap them for what we wanted to see as the preferred currency for NFTs, which is USDC, but a, a version of it, a wrapped version, which is super fast called XUSDC, right? So we think that NFTs should be priced in dollars and that you should just have dollars 
and you pay for the, the NFT in dollars, the seller gets dollars, and they don't have to sell it. They don't have to worry about tax problem or anything else. And so we built that infrastructure, which is sort of, we recognize this thing could be absolutely perfect for NFTs. And about two and a half months ago, we started coding up this first NFT project and we built this demo project and it took us all of 30 days to build, uh, which was this monsters demo, which you can go to nft.protonchain.com. You can check it out. It uses a cryptocurrency called FUBAR, which has no value. How did you guys come up with the name FUBAR? It's not real. Like, we just wanted to make it really like a joke. This is like in that movie, uh, Boiler Room, where he goes, Fugazi, Fugazi, whatever. That was our thing. So we came up with this these 10 monsters that you could buy and sell with FUBAR. And we had a faucet where you can get, get more FUBAR. And it was just like, okay, let's test this thing out. And let's figure out if our buying or selling and all this stuff works. Once we uh, released it to the public, like to our users and stuff, what happened was they got so much traction and people started sending and buying and selling these monsters that we actually like the prices in FUBU were actually skyrocketed. So we actually had to make an adjustment to the faucet to allow you to get more FUBAR so you could actually start accepting and start trying to buy these things. To us, that was kind of the moment that it was like people were enjoying this kind of notion of buying, selling, seeing it all on chain that we kind of realized that we're on to something. And so it really has a very different experience. If you look at any other NFT platform, they all have this experience of it's going to cost me a lot of money. Nothing against Rarible. Actually, a lot of things that they're doing is great, but like you go there, it's going to cost you $10, $20 in gas fees to do anything, right? To put a bid on something. 10, 20, it's like 40, 50. 50, you know, to mint an NFT is, is a lot. And that's not Rarible's fault. It's Ethereum's fault, right? So, and so you're dealing with Ethereum, you're dealing with MetaMask, and you're, it's really three-year-old tech, right? Is that going to change, though, with the new sort of upgrades to Ethereum? Eventually, yes. Eventually, it will change. When Ethereum 2 finally comes out, it's not coming out in the next 12 months, but... Yeah, eventually, I mean, things always improve and change. And, you, and look, you're probably going to see something faster come out with buying a smart chain pretty soon because, you know, which is sort of an Ethereum compatible chain that they're going to come out with that. But the first thing is a fast user experience, which is very different. And then there's other differences too. It builds on the stablecoin infrastructure that we have, right? So you can buy it with stablecoin, not this other cryptocurrency. Uh, you're using our wallets and our signing requests. So it's really a whole sort of ecosystem of doing this. And we've open sourced all of this, right? So you can go ahead and you can copy and paste and make your own version of Proton Market, and people have already, right? So there's several copies of this thing already out there. Uh, you know, that's great. So we're like, the more the merrier. If we could get brands to take this code and build on it, that's even better. So we would like to have a hundred marketplaces. We don't want to own the marketplace space. We just want the core blockchain to be used as much as possible. And that's a good question. So you validated it, right? With FUBAR, all right? You saw you had this traction there as initial validation. Where, where do you want it to go from here? It took us about a month to go from that to what it is today. So we launched it on Monday and there were some other things. So the FUBAR one, there was no minting of, of NFTs. You could buy these 10 monsters and we made these 10 monsters in different edition sizes, ranging from a hundred to a thousand. And it was also very interesting to sort of see 
what's the sweet spot? Should you go for a hundred or should you go for 500 or a thousand? And, and really the hundred one is really where the action is, as it turns out. But then, yeah, we didn't test less than that. So I, I don't know, but if you like look at the price of the hundred one times the, the hundred, it's much higher than the price of the 501 times. I have 100, the Dolahan, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, edition size 100, 100 million FUBAR. And then of uh, an edition size of 1,000 Cerberus is 500,000 FUBAR. So listener could do the math. But basically what you're saying is you, you might as well make it less because the price is going to be higher and the total amount of value generated is actually going to be more. The last Correct. And we've seen that actually once people started trading for real money, the, the same pattern happened. And it, it's more or less flat right up until about the, the, the top three most rare. And then it goes off. <laughs> now, are you guys are you guys allowed to get some monsters? Do you have any monsters in your closet at this point? Yeah, I, I have a complete set of these monsters. Of course, there's only 100 complete sets. And who knows if they'll be valuable or not. We pretty much gave them all away. And it was a fun little experiment. And I, I love the fact that people get very passionate about them. And people people were like, oh my God, you, you didn't tell me these things were going to trade for real money. You just never know in crypto. You know what I mean, you just, it's just, and that's the kind of the, the fun of it. Right. It's like Dogecoin, right? Marshall, who started Metal, was, you know, one of the early people, part of that Dogecoin project. I, I don't think anybody in their wildest imagination thought Dogecoin would be worth a billion dollars. You know, I mean, that's just a crazy thing, but that's crypto. This is making me think of a question here. I don't know if there's an answer to it. I've listened to a couple other interviews with you and you can talk knowledgeably about Einstein's theory of relativity, but you also, you know, have a sort of a deep connection with just like basic gaming, like people playing solitaire and the dynamics of that and the interest in that. How do those things, two things go together for you? I personally have come from a consumer background. And that's why for me, the NFT thing just like clicked like immediately, right? Because my first software company was a paint program for Windows. And it was actually the top paint selling program for Windows when Windows came out, right? Imagine back, this program came out in 1993, okay? And in 1993, people bought these computers and they didn't have anything to do with the computer. Like they could balance their checkbook, but they didn't have anything fun to do with them, right? And so I, I built this program. It was called Matisse. And, and people would be like, oh, I got Matisse, so I'm going to paint some art. So literally the same kind of art that you have behind you was the kind of stuff that people would like. And it was one of the first things that you could use a pressure-sensitive pen and paint. And people loved it. And it was just a gigantic hit. And then we bundled it with graphic tablets and, and everything. There was a million copies of this thing out there. So you just have a kind of like an innate instinct for consumer behavior. And that's something that really connects with you. I've done it now for a lot. I did it for the, my paint program. And then I did it. I did one of the largest game sites on the internet, really, at the time in 1999. Really, the Zynga of 1999-2000, which was called iWin, we had 30 million players playing these games. I, I have a lot of experience with watching people. And by the way, the most popular game was Solitaire. That was the most popular game. You know, if you still look at Yahoo Games, it still exists. It is always the most popular, Solitaire, because people know the rules. They know it. So I love these simple, consumery things. And, you know, the minute I saw these NFTs, I was like, boy, 
If we could just make the user interface simple, if we can make it simple, it's too complicated right now. If we can make it simple, everybody will be doing this stuff. We're all sort of enthusiasts for simplicity on, on this call. And you look at OpenSea, there's a lot going on there. And like, what do you want to do to curate your marketplace that's similar or different from what's out there already? Okay, so that's a whole separate issue, right? The curation part of it. But let's start with the creation part. First of all, and I go back to the, the, the beginning of YouTube. So think, go back to 2006. YouTube came out, right? And YouTube was the first real platform where you could upload a video Take that video and put that video on MySpace. That was really the only place you could do it. And that was the killer thing for YouTube, right? Is that people started, they, they found these videos. It's still relatively time consuming to upload a video to the internet. But you had this ability to take this video and share this video. Fantastic breakthrough thing, right? Now, there was other things. There was MetaCafe. There was a bunch of other things. But the ability to put that inside of a flash thing and embed that inside your MySpace page was really what blew up YouTube, right? Now, the first thing I see with NFTs is, okay, they're really hard to make, right? I've got a 14-year-old. Is he going to spend $40 on it making an NFT? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? Would he make an NFT for free? Yeah, he would. And so... The thing that really interests me, first and foremost, is really ability to create an NFT and the ability to share that NFT on my social channels. That's the first thing that really interests me. So those two things are right now not possible, right? Before, before Proton, right? Like you can't make an NFT for free and you can't share that NFT really easily on Facebook, on TikTok, wherever, you, you know, whatever. You can't put it. Uh, like, hey, look at me. I made this NFT, right? When you say making an NFT, I want to go a little deeper on that because there is the the minting of an NFT, right? Say so I, I created, let's say, a, a picture. I've made that picture and now I'm, I've minted it as an NFT. If somebody wants to make an NFT that is as sexy as like an NBA Top Shot NFT, for example, it doesn't seem to be many tools available for people to craft something or leverage a series of options that would enable something as interesting as like an NBA Top Shot type NFT, three dimensions, data information about the background, different images. What are your thoughts on that front? Is there something forthcoming with those features? I would say this. First of all, you can absolutely make an NFT like NBA Top Shot. He could make one for you better than NFT than NBA Top Shot in the next hour. I have no doubt. Let's stop talking. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, look, the reality is the average 14-year-old is actually pretty amazing right now. Don't underestimate the skills of some of these people or even 12-year-old. My 14-year-old is programming games right now. Can he use a 3D renderer? Oh, yeah, he can. You know what they I mean? Have, like, they have YouTube. I mean, they just look it up. They, they just, yeah. So they look up how to do it. They figure so, it out. So you can do those things on your platform? We have 3D objects, right, that are, you can move around in 3D on Proton, right? So you can create these 3D objects and use those as NFTs. You could create video, audio, a 3D. It's basically just an IPFS hash. At the end of the day, it's just stored at the NFT level, at the blockchain level, it's just a hash on IPFS. That's it. Help us understand programmable NFTs and how that 
fits into the landscape and is that possible in your platform? Is that something you would want to do or is it not that interesting? It's super interesting. So let's talk a little bit about programmable NFTs. And I'll tell you a project that we're working on right now that, that I'm investing in with Soft Atom. So one of the things that if you look at the list of dApps, okay, if you look at the list of dApps and you start at the most top dApp, I don't know if you know this, but Alien Worlds is now the top dApp. Have you ever seen it? Go to dapradar.com and do a search for top dApp, okay? You will see that Alien World now has twice as many users as Uniswap, okay? And the most incredible thing is you have Alien Worlds as number one. Atomic Hub, I think, is at number four, which is using Alien Worlds as NFTs in it. And you have uh, Atomic Market as number seven. And, and the numbers are big, right? So there's 200,000 plus visitors to Alien Worlds. And this is basically a game where you come in and you basically are mining a cryptocurrency called Trillium and you're earning these NFTs like shovels and various things. So the intersection of NFTs and games is, is super, super interesting. If you happen to have the axe, well, you can mine a lot faster with the diamond axe than you can with the shovel. And so it's, it, it, and with our platform, all this stuff's very easy. It's very easy to see inside of a website. Is the NFT present or not? You see what I'm saying? So you can see, oh, does the person have an axe? Oh, the person has an axe. Great. Give them more power. So we're building this game that is called Pink's Blockchain Racing. And it's a, a, a Fast and the Furious type game. And basically, you're racing this car that has parts. And these parts are NFTs, right? And you can go buy the parts. You can outfit your car. You can take your car to you know one of many racetracks, like Daytona 500 or the Monaco Grand Prix. And you can race your car against another guy. And it's winner wins the pink slip. So that's the kind of thing I think that's like Alien Worlds. I think these kind of things are super, super addictive, right? Because now it's tying it into gameplay. I want to I wanna own the gas station, the virtual gas station, where those cars have to get gas. If, if we can work that out, I'd be happy to set up a, a whole franchise of gas stations. What's exciting about it is, you know, Alien Worlds has this concept of like owning a planet and stuff like that. So basically, when anybody goes and mines on that planet, they get a little piece of it. So it's like, our thing is like, you can actually own a piece of the track. So anybody who comes and mines on the track, you get a piece of it. Exactly. So that kind of like being able to have this income without just like having to do anything and being able to make passive income by just owning the track. Owning the track. Why not? If you look at the land on Alien Worlds and you go to Wax uh, Atomic Market and you start looking at NFT Hive and you look at the price of land in Alien Worlds, there is some land that goes for like 20 grand a parcel. It's all of a sudden this land is, is super valuable because as people come in, they're going to be mining more Trillium. The Trillium is convertible into Wax, which is convertible into Bitcoin. It, it, it's all a game. You know, I think NFTs trading is a game. You know, if you think about Top Shots, sure, it's it's about owning the LeBron card, but it's also like speculating that other people are going to want the LeBron card. So, you know, that you're going to be able to buy low, sell high. What you just discussed, guys, relate to programmable NFTs. Are we talking about race cars that you can configure over time and change over time? Can I increase the, the horsepower? If you look at from a pure NFT, what the standard of the NFT is, 
So basically Proton and Wax are both using the atomic market, sort of NFT middleware layer. Can you do something like change a factor of this stuff? You absolutely could in theory. From a pure gameplay perspective, that's not been done in Alien Worlds. It's just really, does it fit the gameplay? It could. And I, I think that if you look at, for example, our friends at Mythical Games, I know that you can have, for example, you can merge people. You can take two Blancos characters, you can combine them, and you can mix them up and get a third one. It's like CryptoKitties. There's all kinds of things like this where you can energize things and stuff. The platform handles all that. The question is, is there a gameplay use that needs it? So it's all very doable. I, I think right now we look at where are the big problems in this whole Base. And the, for us, the big problems are the platform itself is still a big problem. You need to be able to get the cryptocurrency to buy these things or to sell them. That is for us, this USDC coin and the whole, that's our whole setup. There is the curation, which you mentioned, which is you go to the homepage of Proton Markets and right now you, you see like nothing, but we haven't even built like a, a front page really for it. You're doing a bounty to co-create the homepage of your site with the community. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about. Um... Yeah, so look, we have all these people who are super interested in what we're doing. And I think they're interested in what we're doing. It's not even our project, it's their project. It's a decentralized thing. And, you know, we sort of view this thing as like, hey, we're providing these tools. What do you guys want? I mean, what do you guys want? What can you build? You know, so we put this thing out. And so I said, maybe we need to make something that looks more like Pinterest. So some guy's like, okay, how about this? So I put that out on Twitter. I said, well, here's a guy. And then another guy came out from Korea. And I think, I suspect this guy is very, very young. Because he's like, I'm going to do my first Twitter post. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I coded it up myself. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, I, I went into the Atomic Asset API. I got all access to all this stuff. I'm building this front end. He built a front end and which he's showing on a video. This is how the technology should evolve. It should evolve that people just grab and, and make. And I think this is gonna be really important for where this is going because you know, at the end of the day, brands are all over this thing. They all love this idea. And one of your previous uh, episodes that I, I watched, which I really liked, was the Scott Page interview. And I really think there's a perfect product market fit with music. If you're Pink Floyd and you're putting something out, you certainly don't want to be next to some soft porn, but you probably don't want to be next to, you know, some skin for some game either. You know what I mean? You really want to have a, a whole experience around this thing. And if you're the Kardashians or Gwyneth Paltrow, same deal. You really want the NFTs to live on your site, not in Proton Market or something else. So this means that you really need sort of an open source set of tools where you can grab everything you need and build it into your own experience. It's like Shopify for NFTs or something, right? Yeah. It's Yes. So it's like a WordPress. Yeah. Ideally it's like WordPress, right? So you want to add it to your website. You want to add it to, you know, the edge of NFTs or whatever. You want to build in NFTs into your experience. There's a lot of reasons that NBA Top Shots shows a, a semi-open environment and these other uh, projects have been semi-open. Do you have any concerns of letting the dogs out, so to speak, with this full open source environment, what are the risks that you're sort of thinking about? And like, is there going to be any- I like to say there's really, there's really two models, right? There's the crypto model, which I, I will say Ethereum is, you come in with a crypto wallet, 
you load it up with crypto and you buy something and then it's yours. That's one model. The other model is sort of the flow MBA Top Shots model. You come in, you, you buy it with a credit card. It's recorded on the blockchain as an NFT and you can see it, that you own it. You know, there's a lot of restrictions about transferring it. And by the way, if you want to cash out, there's a 30 to 60 day waiting list. And we got to make sure that there's no chargebacks and this and that. So those are two very separate approaches. Now, I'm not saying one's better than the other and Top Shot has been phenomenally successful. And I think if you talk to a lot of brands, they're like, we love the Top Shot model, right? We like the fact that they're buying it with a credit card. We like the fact that it's totally separate. In my view, that's not where this is going, right? So I think where this is going is the open crypto world. To me, the top shot thing, you know, with all due respect, it's AOL. You know, it's not the internet. It's not the real deal because you don't really own the NFT. And to me, it's all about your keys, your crypto, your NFT. I own the NFT. I can send it to somebody. And so we have a very different view on that. To clarify real quick, you're talking about where the metadata is stored and who controls it? No, I'm talking about literally the key to your NFT. So let me give you an example. I have an NFT on Proton and I want to give it to Corey. I can give it to Corey. Like it's it, two seconds later, it's his. I can't do that on Topshop. I can't just give it that easily to somebody else. I can't just sell it to Corey and get $100 in stable coin and go liquidate it and go to the bank. I, I can't do that. So the difference is, is it hosted or is it really non-custodial, right? And, and, and I feel very, very, very strongly that the non-custodial way is the way forward with crypto. You, you really want to have total control of your NFTs or your Bitcoin or anything on crypto. Right. Freedom moving away from central authorities, right? Yeah. I mean, it, and, and so it should be on the blockchain. You have the keys, you can move it. And, and really also it's independent of like our company, we could go bankrupt. It doesn't matter, right? We go bankrupt, the Proton chain doesn't go bankrupt. It, it has a sort of independent existence. It feels a lot more consistent with the ethos of blockchain and crypto, the inception of it. I think it's pretty significant because I think at the end of the day, if you think about it, even if Top Shots is super successful and they create Top Shots and they have NFL shots and you know and NBA shots and uh, golf shots and everything else, those are all going to be separate silos. Now, what I want is one thing, and I want whether it's on Top Shots created or whether it's Corey who created it or me or you. I want us to just swap this stuff around or any developer. It's a fundamentally different thing. And I think that these NFTs could be anything. They don't have to be super high grade art. They could be literally anything. It could be a key to your Airbnb, right? It could be, as Scott Page was saying, it could be like front row seats to the concert, whatever. You know, it's like, it could be anything. We Nobody here knows where this stuff's going. I know it's going to be absolutely big, the biggest thing in all of crypto. Like, I just know that in my bones. It's going to be far bigger than Bitcoin. Like, I, I will say that far bigger than Bitcoin. This is the mass market part of, of all of crypto. This is what we've been waiting for since the beginning. This is the thing where everybody in the planet, everybody in the planet right now is on Facebook. Everybody. 
on this particular solar system, everybody's on Facebook. Every single person on this solar system is on YouTube. Every single person in this solar system is going to be on NFTs within five years. I just know it. It's a fact. Now, I don't know who's going to win this thing. I don't know that. I won't say we're going to win it, but I just know that this is going to be monster big. I just know it. What I don't know is ultimate, the ultimate form of this. So related to that, Fred, I think I saw a post from you that you have a new investment fund for innovative projects at Soft Atom. Is that? Yeah. So basically, I said we started this whole thing as kind of like a side project almost at, at Proton Metal. So we're doing this blockchain. We've got this, these wallets and everything else. You know, then this comes along and I'm like, you know, this is what I need to focus on. <laughs> and so, so much so that what I want to do is, is just invest in whether it's games, whether it's individual content, whether it's some guy reskinning something. I don't know. But basically what I want to be is sort of the Y Combinator of this world. You know, so if you're a 20 year old kid and you've got like this Lee guy in, in, in Korea and you've got this idea for making this like amazing gallery and then completely different new view of this stuff. And you can take my op the open source code and do something with it. Yeah, great. Here's twenty-five dollars or $50,000 and, and let's, let's see what you can do. That's my thesis, right? And I'd like to find as many of those companies as possible and you know, see if we can help them and guide them through what we've built in terms of the platform. So fast forward one year from now. Yeah. Do you have a prediction on what percentage of those investments are going to be the companies with the CEO under 21? Oh, I don't know. I don't know under 21. I mean, that's pretty young. Look, I think most of these Y Combinator things are pretty young. I think Y Combinator has proved that, and it's, it's even becoming more true now with COVID, right? Because we've all realized that we don't even need offices really anymore. You know, we can do everything virtually. The Zoom works great. Slack works great. All these tools, Telegram works great. So now we're all getting used to working with people all over the world. I don't even know where you guys are, but uh, where are you guys, by the way? I'm on Mars right now. <laughs> it's funny. You know, someone said that we should talk about where we are because we actually represent all three coasts or three parts of America. I'm in Venice, California. Okay. We're close to me. Yeah. The last half hour, I've been in alien world, but right now I am in uh, Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> and I'm in the third coast, okay. Chicago. My goal is to find stuff that's symbiotic with the blockchain that we built, where I can add some value too, because I know this blockchain, we know the platform so well that we can potentially help people out. And, you know, we had, we got pitched this game idea. I think it's pretty good, which is like this other, this other group, they, they're talking about this sort of this Pokemon Go type thing with NFTs. And I think I like that idea too. I think that could really be great with these 3D things that you find near you and you collect them and you you could sort of mine them. I mean, it's sort of like, again, this alien worlds kind of deal. So that's the kind of thing I think would be interesting. And we just take a tiny percentage of these things and um, we'll see. The goal is if we can help the ecosystem out, already we're winning and we don't really need to do anything else. I'm actually curious to find out a little bit more about how you and Corey, what was the first, what was the first inception? You know, when did you first come into contact and then how long did it take to ramp up a relationship at that point? Oh, we've been working together for how long? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah, I'm from the Midwest. I'm an Indiana boy. I went to schools for graphic design and stuff like that. I realized that print media is going to be dead in about 20 years. So I started getting into uh, web design and all this stuff, app design. And then Fred actually hired me at his, one of his company's Minds and Machines about eight years ago. 
And I worked, you know, worked him and under a director. And then when Fred left to go do his own thing, I left with him. And then from there, we've been building consumer products for the last six, seven years. Yeah. So we work really well and we have a really great process. I think part of our process is that we're very design focused. So we always start with, we don't, we always start with almost wireframes to start. Then we go to design. Then, then everything is completely designed. Every single pixel of every wallet or anything we're doing was completely designed. And we iterate through like the usability of the design and stuff way before we start coding. And then we, then we typically have very few coders, but they're just, they're implementing it exactly the way we, we spec it out. Be able to iterate fast and be able to get it out to, to our users and then get, collect feedback from them faster so we can go make the changes as we go. And that's, we, uh, we, me and Fred are used to working with like eight people. Like we're like a very scrappy, like, and that's allows us to be how we got started into crypto was we've, we're working on a project and then we got some feedback and then we said, okay, our users actually are running into this issue. We need to solve this. Right. So you mentioned work coin. So I'll just say we started on this idea of trying to get sort of a, uh, like a Fiverr type project going with crypto. And then we realized, okay, and we and this is on Ethereum initially, yeah. right? And then we were like, okay. For people to go buy Ethereum with MetaMask and stuff, it's not happening. You know, it's just not happening for the average person who's going to buy something on Fiverr. And then we were like, what else is available, right? Because this blockchain is just not going to work. So then EOS was starting to come out and we were like, okay, maybe we could use EOS. Okay. And then it started to launch and it was basically like, there were two Chinese wallets and the rest was just command line. And then we we're like, oh my really? God. What are, we, what are we doing? You know, the only way we're going we're to have to figure this thing out, we're going to have to build a wallet. And we built the first mobile wallet for EOS. For EOS. In like a, it was like a month. Yeah, two months. Yeah. And then we realized, okay, how is this mobile wallet going to do anything with an app? So we're thinking, how can we have an app like Fiverr interact with this mobile wallet? And so we invented, we did the first integration of mobile wallets and, the, and a blockchain period, including Ethereum. So like signing we, transactions. So we did the first thing. So we did a little app store within the wallet, right? And we did it first. We went to this company that just launched this gambling thing called EOS Bet. And we we're like, I think if we built this thing right into the app, it would really be popular. We went to them and they were making a good amount of money a month. And we came in and gave, hey, we want to implement a mobile web version in our, in our thing. Can you guys do this? We think it's going to really help. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not mobile. We are web-based. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that you're web-based because this was never done before. And they're like, all right, sure. We'll do it. We had to like really push them like, hey guys, can you please do this? And then it took us begging these guys, come on, just do it. It's not that hard. When they did it, and when we finally did it, we tripled their sales in a month. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So they basically came in and they were like, holy cow, we're doing $10 million of bets a month on the Lynx wallet. And we're like, yeah. It seems we're so cool. obvious in hindsight, right? Everybody's doing everything on their It was phones. obvious. Yeah. Except, except after six months, the app store said, no, no, no. No more apps within apps on app. And after everyone had started copying us. And, just and then they, they started copying us and doing everything else. But yeah, so we definitely saw the usability thing was like, and the and Ethereum was like, yeah, no, it's perfect. Just use MetaMask. It's great. And we're like, no. And that's when MetaMask was just a Chrome plugin. Right. Like, it was like, you had to use Chrome. And we're like, we can't tell our users, go download Chrome. It just doesn't make it from a, you know, an on, an on-ramp. It's just not good. You're just, you're losing 70% of all your users. And my wife is like, what's a Chrome plugin? 
<laughs> exactly. You know, and I'll give you, I'll give you an example from yesterday. So I'm sitting there yesterday and my wife's like, what is that site you're doing on NFTs? I said, it's called protonmarket.com. She's like, yeah, come on, show it around. I want to see that. I'm, here, I'm curious about these NFTs. I go, okay, okay, okay. I do this all the time. So I'm like a little annoyed and I'm like sort of showing it. And she's like, oh my God, these pups are so cute. And I go, it's overpriced. And she goes, it's $15. It's great. And I'm like, I'm going to give it for Justine for her birthday. And I'm like, all right. She goes, how do I do it? Uh, she goes, okay. I said, well, you have a Proton wallet? She goes, yeah, I downloaded a while ago. Okay, let me do it. Oh, okay. And she figured it out. Like within like one minute, she did it. And she's like, okay, so great. Now I got the NFT. How do I send it to Justine? I'm like doing it. Then I get Justine and she sent it to Justine. Justine opens it up, downloads the wallet and gets it. And she's like, oh my God, this is so great. Thank you for the birthday pet, you know? So that kind of, you know, from downloading a wallet to getting the NFT, to sending it, to opening it up on another wallet. And the fact that worked, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That would not work on any other platform right now. That's just not feasible, right? There's no platform where you could do that, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, what else can I buy? I'm in a shopping mood, you know? <laughs> so, and that's what happens with, you know, you go from this stuff silly to, I want more, you know, I, I need something else to complement my collection. What about this, you know, Labrador? And all the momentum here is just picking up so much, especially this, this past year or two, it's a lot of things going mainstream and you've been just a huge part of, of making that happen. So we're all so grateful for that. This is, we're at the beginning, like, I think the next the next 12 months are going to be the this is where this is where the world's going to be. I, I don't even know where it's going to be 12 months from now. Well, we're, at think, the, was, we're at the beginning with no turning back. We're not at the beginning where you could turn back. <laughs> you, can't, you can't put this back in the box. Like there's no way to go back and try and and my 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 thing is I'm curious is how Apple and Google and all these guys are gonna like handle this stuff with like apps and stuff and games and I'm just curious how they're going to handle it. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm so excited about it, though. I just think it's going to be so amazing. I'm super happy just to be part of it. You know, honestly, it's one of these, it's honestly, it's just one of these moments in time, which is, it's actually fun and interesting all of a sudden, you know, and it's not like just like crypto, which is all about getting rich and like wearing a big diamond B on your, you know, like, <laughs> like, say you're you seem a lot happier than uh when i ran into the conference but you know conferences can make all of us a little bit grumpy so um no but i mean clearly it shows in both of your uh enthusiasm and energy on the show that you're so pumped about what you're doing and it's it's an honor to hear what you guys have been up to we're gonna have to check in with you guys later about what's happened and Maybe, Fred, we can bring some of your uh, investments onto the show to talk about what they've done with, with the framework. Let's, let's see. I'm sure it's going to be a fun six months, not just for us, but for you, for everybody. I mean, it's, it's going to be a cool ride. I think there's going to be so many, there's so many interesting new people that are going to, you know, like somebody said, really all the, the smartest guys are in crypto, you know? And I think all the smartest guys in crypto are going to NFT this right now. And, and women, the smartest women as well. We have a, our next guest is a 22-year-old female entrepreneur who's looking at NFTs in the fashion industry. So we're, we're excited to have her on the show as well. But the show is not over, guys. We've got our next segment. 
Yeah, with two more segments, and uh, we're going to transition the energy here a little bit. So we'll have Edge Quick Hitters, where we got some quick questions. Jeff is going to introduce you to those, and after that, we'll cover some of the hot topics in the news right now. But Jeff, you want to tell them about Quick Hitters? So Edge Quick Hitters is just a fun and quick way to get to know you a little better. There are 10 questions. Uh, We're just looking for short, single word, or few word responses. Feel free to expand, though, if you get the urge. We can just alternate between you guys, uh, but we'll look for answers on all 10 from each of you. You ready? Yeah, yeah, go. All right, cool. What is the first thing you ever purchased in your life? Fred, start with you. I'd say probably a book. I grew up in France and I would say probably some kind of highfalutin philosophy book or something like that. (laughs) Probably my first purchase. I have no idea even what it was. Yeah, right on. How about you, Corey? I'm not like Fred. I think my first purchase was a like a uh, Return of the Jedi uh, Star Wars action figure. <laughs> oh, rock and roll. Any chance you still got that bad boy? I mean, yeah, I'm a collector. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. What is the first thing you ever sold in your life? Back in the Midwest, they do a lot of garage sales. And that's kind of like how you make your money and you aren't working at your nine to five job. So you know, when I was younger, my mom would do a lot of garage sales. And basically what I did was we were, me and my, I'm an identical twin. And me and my brother would set up, we bought this like hot dog, like making machine. And basically we would sell hot dogs and lemonade at my mom's garage sale. And that was, I mean, we were, we'd make a killing doing it. And that was kind of like our first kind of business. A twist on the traditional lemonade stand, right? Yeah. I dig it. How about you, Fred? I remember I used to have a marbles business as a kid. Basically we had this thing where you'd, you'd have to take marbles and shoot the marbles and if you hit a marble you could keep the marble so it was like one of these kind of like carny kind of acts you know and i you know it, was, it ended up being forbidden by the school but but yeah i was i was selling marbles and i was selling the opportunity to win more marbles by hitting a target <laughs> amazing okay guys what is the most recent thing you purchased fred let's start with you well an nft actually <laughs> The dog that I mentioned earlier. That oh, is the great. last thing I purchased. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How about you, Corey? I think the last thing I purchased was like, I just bought a condo. So, that, you know, that's my, uh, my biggest purchase. A big one. All right. Ethan, yeah. Thank you. Just uh, closed on some real estate as well. Okay. What is the most recent thing you sold? Let's go Corey first. Most recent thing I sold. I think the most recent thing I sold was some old tables and chairs because I was moving to my, my new place and I wanted to upgrade the furniture a little bit. Thrifty. Right on. Indeed. And for me, it was an NFT as well. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, as part of the proton market, I started minting these astronomy pictures, which I took, which are, which are pretty fun. I actually just pointed my iPhone up to the sky and see if I could actually take some constellations. And actually, with by editing them in Photoshop, I was actually able to do it and annotated them. And so I put them up for sale, and I think somebody paid like a thousand bucks for them or something. And I was like, they were like, the founder of Proton is putting his artwork, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the coolest thing for me about that story is that you used Photoshop, which uh, I guess um, we were doing a little recon. You had something to do with the layers in Photoshop, right? Yeah, so my brother and I invented the con. So if you're used to Photoshop, what happened was our, our first program, which was this paint program called Matisse, was actually the first program in the world to have layers, okay? And the history of it is very simple. I, I basically 
my brother was saying, what kind of stuff do you want to do for, you know, we we're talking about a company that we do together. And I said, well, I don't know. And he goes, well, I have this paint program. And I said, that, well, let's do that. And then he said, uh, so we're, we're researching and he goes, he was showing me how you move a selection. And he goes, you move it, you cut it, you float it and you drop it. And I go, well, can I just keep it live? And he goes, no, you don't do that. That's not how it works. And I go, why can't we just do that? And he goes, well, I guess you could. And so like, you know, then we, we just basically said, okay, let's do that. And we called it objects. And this is a great story actually. So we built this program and we built it all around these objects. And so I came and I was living in North Carolina at the time, my brother and I, and we exhibited this thing in a 10 by 10 booth at SIGGRAPH in 1993, okay, in Anaheim, California. So we're sitting there and the first person who comes by my booth, I'm saying, showing these objects and this guy goes, how much? And he goes, we, my brother goes, 99 bucks. And he goes, no, not for the, uh, not for the uh, product, for the company. And it was the uh, CTO of Microsoft. Later, we ended up going in. We actually, I met Bill Gates and we ended up selling to Macromedia, but you know, it's a long story, but yeah. So we, we built this first concept of layers in Photoshop. Adobe finally got there two years later. It took them two years to finally build it in. And we didn't patent it, unfortunately. We should have, but uh, wow. we didn't know much about patents in the time or didn't think about it. Amazing. Uh, I can tell you, it's uh, you guys don't understand how uh, frustrating it can be when you're the guy that invented, you know, like layers is next to you when you're designing. He's like poking you, and you're like, he's like, hey, Corey, you, you like those layers? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I like, I like the layers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, nice. You're welcome. Right? Uh, amazing. Wow. Let's let's continue. Uh, yeah. see what other stories we can unearth next okay what is your most prized possession let's start with you fred well I, I i got a crazy one i have a 17th century castle in the with 50 acres in france whoa nice that was designed by the same architect who built the louvre amazing guys wow. let's buy that on super world super world yes <laughs> i knew where you were going <laughs> what are the gps coordinates <laughs> that's great how about you Corey? That's a hard one for me, honestly, because I, I don't know. I don't really, I'm, I'm kind of not like a that material, um, that material, honestly. Like, I don't kind of see myself as like, I like, this is my prized possession. You know what I mean? I just don't, I just don't think like that. Well, I don't know. You got, you got this collection of some amazing uh, things out there uh, from what you just mentioned. Well, I mean, it's, it's like me and my dad used to, me and my brother and my dad, we were Star Wars collectors. So we'd go around to all like Star Wars conventions and, and toy shows. And we would just call, we'd like have this like $50,000 Star Wars toy collection. That's like just chilling in a, like a storage unit, like a, like heating and cooling, like for, for preserving it for like later. I mean, I guess that's kind of a, you know, a prize thing, but yeah. Yeah, when you have special heating and cooling for your for your collection, I think that's a tell sign that it's special. Qualifies. So, Corey, if you could buy anything that's uh, for sale currently in the world, right? Do you have your eye on anything in particular? Fred's castle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think if I can buy anything, I'm a musician, so like I love like I'm a you know guitar player and stuff like that. So I love like I would love to own a piece of like history, music history. Like I would love to own like Eddie Van Halen's guitar, even Angus Young's guitar, like even like a Jimi Hendrix guitar. Any kind of that stuff, I would love to own any of that. I'm pretty sure Scott Page is going to be, uh, yeah, he's going to be auctioning off his Eddie Van Halen's Ferrari as part of 
music conservatory i think they're launching in watts right pretty cool that's great how about you fred for me i think it'd probably be some art i'm a big fan of of modern art i'm not 100 percent sure i would go for yet the digital art i think it's going to be i think the great digital artists are still coming you know but i think we're going to see some the next generation of, of great digital artists you know listen i i think partly it's a generational thing but for me, you know, owning an original Liechtenstein or a Cy Twombly or some great contemporary art piece, a Warhol maybe, something like that would be, would be great. You know, like, oh, yeah. don't, don't need it. It would only be for me, but you know, it would, it, it's kind of like his Van Halen guitar, you know. Those are the fun things. So let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? We'll start with you, Fred. I think I'm kind of a, I'm a temper. I'm a curious kind of guy, right? So one of the things I think you have to come without too much, too much of an agenda, right? Like I think if you come and you say, I'm going to make a lot of money, actually not a good idea because you won't make a lot of money. But I think if you come and you say, Hey, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to, I'm going to experiment around a little bit and I'm going to do something really interesting. You often find that leads somewhere great. So I think have fun, tinker around, experiment around. That's the kind of the playfulness. I think that's what I would tell people. They need to do more experimenting. Beautiful. Absolutely. Have you, Corey? Corey? Uh, I think for me, I think it's like one of the traits that I have is like not being afraid to fail and just step into something. It's because like what I've seen and experienced is when you're so scared of stepping into something that you don't want to fail, you end up failing. You're actually failing because you're not even doing it. And what I've learned is more you step into things. And if you do fail, you actually learn more from that failure to actually keep going and get to a point where, where you can move past all that. That's just me. It's just, that's what I would pass down. Right on. So I, I think I know the answer then to, to this question, which is if you could eliminate one personality trait of yours from the next generation, what would it be? The inverse. What would I eliminate? That is a hard one. That is a hard one. I think I'm a little obsessive. That's one of the things that I think would I would clip out I think the obsession stuff is often very detrimental right I mean I think it has a lot of great benefits you know you can concentrate on stuff for a very long periods of time but I think you know at the end of the day you want to lead a more balanced life you know with you know your, your family your friends everything and I think if you get too obsessed with something it's a negative I just think you know at the end of the day you're going through this thing Nobody's getting out alive and uh, you might as well have fun doing it. And you can't take yourself too seriously because it is just a, it is a journey. And I, I think the obsession stuff, just being too self-centered and too obsessive. And, and look, the part of tech that I love the most is being around people who love tech. I, I think that and people who love innovation and stuff. And I, I love that. I love that part of it more than the money or anything else, you know, and I, I've been very fortunate and I've been very successful financially with a lot of these things, but you know, that's nice. It's kind of a, a good way to keep score, but I, I still, as you can see, I'm, I'm very passionate about this stuff and I love watching other people get passionate about it too at every single age. I think for me, I think one of my, he's like, they say your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. And one of my biggest strengths is like problem solving, but it's also my biggest weakness because I try to solve everybody else's problems for them. And I think that allowing people to come to realization and figure out things on their own, it's actually better because it prevents people from getting 
angry at you or like building up a resentment for you trying to solve something that's not yours to solve. So I think that's mine. Yeah. Got to know if you're lending an ear or, or lending solutions, right? It makes sense. Next one. Uh, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? We'll start with you, Corey. We just, me and Fred just literally had like hillstones. Yeah. Yeah. Just lunch. Just lunch. Yeah. Ribs. Yeah. Oof, yeah. Sounds good. Nice. <laughs> All right. Pretty tasty. Let yeah, me tell it was, you. It was good. <laughs> oh man. Sounds like it. What are you going to do after the podcast? Last question. Probably going to go home and, and, and tinker around at the piano a little bit. The piano player. Yeah. I like, I like jazz and classical piano and, you know, and I'm, I'm okay. I'm not concert level or whatever. Corey's a great guitarist and I love playing music though. It's fun. Ethan, what do you think? Are you going to jam with these guys? Yeah. Yeah. we got to get a jam session together. Let's all meet in the castle. <laughs> yes. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I have a list of things I got to get done with like for metal and I'm going to do those. But then I have to, I have to go deal with HOA, this new place because I like, I, I like put in new floors and didn't ask their permission. So I have to like apologize. And like <laughs> the dreaded HOA. Emails to <laughs> Word of advice, join it, <laughs> join it. It's the worst. Well, that's, that's Edge Quick Hitters, fellas. Thanks so much. Really great uh, insights and feedback. A uh, little way to get to know you better. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. Our next segment is uh, if you've got a minute for it and let us know if you get to run. But our next segment is just taking a look at some of the headlines out there and seeing if we got anything interesting to say. First one up here. Ryan Tedder on making the NFT space safe for pop music and why it's the ultimate collector's medium. Yeah, it's been interesting seeing what's going on with music and NFTs and trying to figure out exactly uh, what to do with it around music. Yeah, we definitely have uh, looked into it. And so I think, you know, obviously the Kings of Leon thing is kind of interesting. The Weezer album is kind of interesting. I think there's this fine line between securities and, and tokens, right? Which you know, somebody came to me and said, I've got this fantastic idea. How about having the royalties, selling a song as an NFT and having the royalties to the song go into each, each piece of the NFT and looked into it and it's absolutely a security and that's not going to work. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, uh, we're laughing because uh, that was our last episode was with, uh, <laughs> with Barney. Well, I look, I think that's a great idea. Like if somebody wants to take the legal risk to do it, right? It's, it's a fantastic idea, right? I mean, no, there's, you know, I have a friend who's in Nashville and he said, look, Fred, he goes, I tried to pitch these guys, you know, uh, on NFTs and stuff and they're, they're not really buying it. He goes, the one thing that I'm getting a little bit of traction with is he said the idea that you're going to get like sort of some front row seat or something like this for the life you know what i mean so it's sort of like you get a lifetime vip pass right and the the reason that that's sort of resonating is that you know you're going to get people buying it for sort of relatively unknown musicians as as a way of kind of betting that they're going to become bigger right and so those VIP passes are going to be worth a whole lot more if the band blows up, right? That seems to be resonating right now, much more so than, you know, just some an album cover pictures. I think it's great. I think that definitely there's a, a ton of stuff. And, and, and that's one where the intersection of the NFT and, and say, like a VIP chat room or a VIP experience, you know, I think that can be super interesting, right? Like if you hold the VIP, if you hold 
the NFT, you can get into an area on Kanye's website and, and get access to unique content from Kanye that you can't if you don't own the NFT, right? And that that NFT is then tradable. I think that's really interesting. We were just talking about this earlier today among Jeff and Josh and I have just this concept that people's wallets can be dropped to, you know, to have NFTs that go there. And I think what's interesting, you know, you could say, oh, well, that's similar to having an email list and I could just send it everybody on email list something, you know, what's the difference? But it is interesting if you can share things that may have a value that is, like you said, it's tradable. Well, yeah, it's also that, look, the, you know, this is it's sort of the NFT as a pass. So this NFT is sort of like a pass to content, right? And so I could see, for example, in music it working, I could see it working for Anthony Robbins doing a seminar. You know what I mean? You know, this pass is valid for any Anthony Robbins event, you know, and you want to improve yourself or do whatever he does and walk on coals. You know, this gives you that. And maybe there's three levels on them, you know, and you can get the gold pass, the, the platinum pass or whatever, right? I see this like whole walker pass with like fire coming out of the ground and all, all cool and maybe some music, some inspirational music. Is this idea of membership, which I think is really interesting, right? And I think that it's a fundamentally new thing that we just haven't figured out, right? We haven't figured out this idea of, really membership. I mean, you know, Patreon is a pretty successful thing, right? And it's a great way for sort of smaller sites to make money, sites like yourself. You could have a Patreon site. But what if you had, instead of that, you had an NFT that enables you to access this treasure trove of content, you know, or talk with you directly or, you know, engage with you or tap your brain. And there's a lot of models like that that are really interesting. Even for like our original model, which was this kind of fiber type work, right? I mean, an NFT could literally be, I will create your logo for you for $100, right? And Corey could make that NFT and it could be redeemable by cashing it in, going to Corey and having him do his, you know, use it. Really an NFT could be almost all commerce could be NFTs, right? And this is like so interesting to me because it really is almost the long tail of everything. So that was somebody else came up with that. And I really agree. It's sort of like, this is a market for everything. It doesn't have to be art. It doesn't have to be music. It could be any service. It could be any, could be a garage sale. It could be those Star Trek figurines in the garage sale also could be NFTs, right? So anything could be physical services, totally digital things, memberships that you know, are only for the month of May. Corey's kids be. are going to sell NFT hot dogs at their garage sales, I think. <laughs> what else is happening in the news, guys? We got NFT startup Alchemy raises $80 million. That's pretty exciting. Alchemy is the center of a recent frenzy in NFTs powering OpenSea and NBA Top Shot and says its customer base doubled in the first quarter. Are you guys familiar with Alchemy and their story? A little bit. So I think what it is, is it's an Ethereum node service, if I'm not incorrect. And basically, if you're going to run your own ETH nodes, you're going to need something like Alchemy. And so I think, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm not a big, I'm not a big ETH 1.0 fan. So, and, and those things won't be used in ETH 2.0 anyways. So, but I get it, you know, I get, so like, if you really believe in the ETH story, which I don't, I think it makes sense. I'm not sure what they're doing with NBA top shots, but, uh, Maybe they're just a flow node. I, I don't know. 
you know. Yeah, it's interesting that it's an infrastructure, it's more of like a background infrastructure that is behind some of the other projects that we're it, seeing that it, are that mainstream. Tell me that it's probably atomic, atomic assets. Uh, those guys are going to yeah. probably get some money too. I mean, look, money's going into this NFT world. It's going to be tidal waves of money coming into this stuff, right? Tidal waves, right? Because the more people who start seeing real traction, they're just going to get, they're just going to get inundated with VC coming to them with checks, right? So I, I do think it's pretty early though, because I remember the beginning of the internet, people thought, okay, what's the, the real model is Pathfinder, you know what I mean? Or I don't know if you don't even remember that name, but there was AOL Pathfinder was this, this kind of Time Warner Pathfinder. It was a gigantic portal of links, you know, you're even the original Yahoo. And nobody really knew kind of the model. So I think we're still in this experimental phase where, you know, we'll see. You know, OpenSea is sort of the biggest and first, you know, market. We'll see if it's even around three years from now. I'm not right. Like it's good that the funding is there so that people can experiment and make progress, but there's no guarantee that something funded heavily is gonna succeed. I would say, I would say that most everything good requires no funding. <laughs> so, so one of the things that it, we've seen in the EOS world, you know, EOS had billions of dollars in funding, but yet, you know, who made the wallet on EOS and everything? The two of us, you know, the three of us with Jake, you know what I mean? And we had, you know, it was all bootstrapped basically. So you don't really, to do something great in tech, you really need 10 people, you know, five to 10 people. That's all you need. You know, you just need the right five to 10 people. You know, and you really don't need $80 million to do anything. I mean, if you're doing something and you're kicking ass, yeah, you're going to be able to get your 80 million. But like, I think the revolutions are done with small teams who, who are very focused and who've got the right idea and the right implementation of that idea. That's what I think. I don't see that the product market fit for most of this NFT stuff is it's really there yet. But that even tells me that the market is even bigger than I think, because the fact that people are so excited about this stuff in this current state was just is mind blowing because it's it stuff barely works. It mm. barely works, you know. You can scrape I mean, it together. It's it's insane that you're paying twenty dollars per to, to make a bid on open. It's just crazy, right? <laughs> this is insane. But it just tells you that the idea of the NFTs is so big, you know, so big. True. Next headline up here, Binance plans to launch an NFT marketplace in June. So I think that's going to be pretty successful, but I think, look, I think it will be successful because everything Binance does is successful, right? So I remember day one of pancake swap and, you know, everybody in the ETH world was like, it's never going to work. And well, you know, it did obviously did work pretty well. I think the NFT thing where Binance will not work, I think, is really these brands are going to need things that are more open and less sort of centrally controlled than where Binance has kind of historically been. And I think they're going to need more user interface stuff. And it doesn't feel to me like, you know, I sold a company to MTV. I just can't imagine MTV building on top of Binance Smart Chain. You know what I mean? Like that just is, I can't see it. You know, maybe they will, you know, if there's enough infrastructure around it, you know, they might. So get this friend, the, their first three yeah. featured content makers in their closed platform. How do you like this? Snoop Dogg, Lionel Richie, and Boy George. 
Yeah. <laughs> what an interesting group to put together. Well, Snoop Dogg is, I think, on every single platform at this point. You know, Snoop Dogg is sort of a... Andy coaches his kids' football team. He's polyamorous. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't date exclusive. You know, yeah, look, I mean... That's great. You know, crypto.com came out with a, an NFT platform too. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of copycat type stuff going on, you know, where they're like, okay, let's just copy this. Let's get, let's get, let's call the, the, the 10 guys who do, you know, let's call Beeple, let's call, you know, Snoop Dogg and let's call, you know, XYZ and put them on. The world's not going to need six clones of that. Although they could do well relative to OpenSea just because they're, they're so much faster. Right. And you know, I, so I wouldn't count them out at all, but I just don't see Binance as a, as a, I just don't see them as a consumery thing. You know what I mean? And I feel like fundamentally my gut feel tells me that this NFT thing is finally what's going to go mainstream in crypto. And I think what that means is it's going to be electronic arts and it's going to be Disney. We are going to see those names come in, Right. Speaking of those names, I'll switch to the next headline because we might as well. Okay. Gary V. <laughs> so, uh, well, he's a big NFT guy. May 5th, he's launching some big NFT thing. Hasn't given many details in it except to inform his you know, followers how to get their wallet set up with some ETH in it so they can buy whatever he's got. Yeah. Corey and Fred, you guys are going to need one ETH each in the MetaMask wallet. If you can pull that off, you'll be ready to go for May 5th. I mean, I, I have more than one ETH in my MetaMask, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, okay, this is sort of has-been city, though. I mean, look, I mean, we're recycling Boy George and, you know, like, eh, come on, man. These are names that were big, what, 40 years ago, 35 years ago? Like, I'm an old guy, but like, <laughs> this is like, this is, this is old for me, you know? I'm, I'm sure my 14-year-old does not know who Boy George is. I mean, like, you know, like. I doubt he does. I'll ask him, but you know, I seriously doubt he'd be interested. Now, if you if you look at you know the weekend or something or whatever, you know, then he'll be all over it. So, just for the record, we don't know what Gary Vee is cooking up, but he has told the world that whatever he's dropping on the fifth is the culmination of his life's work. Okay, is it something to do with wine? That I mean, there is an angle on which I believe that. And it's just that folks like him and Mark Cuban, you know, that there's something about their ethos and what they're all about, where the NFT fits so nicely into the things that they have experience with, you know, collectibles or sports or, you know, the things that seem to be hot right now. So I definitely can can see that that's the case. Now, is it going to warrant that type of, you know, Da Vinci's life work or uh, Michelangelo's life work. I don't know about that. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Look, I mean, there's going to be a new Michelangelo. It's not like they, they bottled up the thing and that they lost it, you know, in the Renaissance. No, like, I mean, like there's new Michelangelo's being minted every day. But, you know, look, Gary Vee, is, he's an entertaining guy and he's great. Nobody has any monopoly on content, right? Part of what I think is, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a TikTokization of this whole thing which I think is going to be very different than with the way most people see it playing out, right? Because who's really hot on TikTok? Some random people you've never heard of, right? Is who's, is who's hot. And they've got some dance move that whatever, that a lot of people are into, right? 
And that's what I think is going to be what's going to happen with NFTs. It's not going to be the people you think. It's actually going to be the same people who got really popular on TikTok, right? And those guys are going to like own this NFT space, you know? And it's going to be some of these YouTubers. Like the one thing I will say, my 14-year-old, when these YouTubers are doing NFTs, he pays attention, you know what I mean? Because he doesn't watch a lot of YouTube. Anything that intersects with YouTube and uh, Twitch, and he's all over it. So it's not going to necessarily be only big guys, but I think there will be big guys. And I think it's, it's very hard to predict where this the volume comes. But I, I do feel that we are going to a world where it's not going to be, it's going to be literally billions of people doing these NFTs. Just like there are billions of, you know, of TikToks and billions of videos on YouTube now. No content guy is going to be able to really monopolize that space. Although right now, a lot of people are kind of positioning in, they're saying, I'm an NFT creator. And that's going to be cool for probably another six months, right? Mm. And then after that, I'll be like, well, of course you're an NFT creator. Who isn't an NFT creator, right? Yeah. It's kind of like people who are like famous on YouTube. Like they were, they've been on YouTube from the very beginning and they were, they've just kind of done it for a long period of time. Well, Gary Vee is one of those guys, right? Gary Vee was one of the very first people to really take advantage of YouTube, right? He grew with that platform. I think we're going to have this whole series of other things this cottage industry of people who sell various things. And that's why I'm saying I don't even know what those NFTs are going to be. Is it going to just be a piece of art or is it going to be something to do with that person's website or service or what? I don't know. I don't know. But we will find out, at least with Gary we'll find out. on uh, May 5th. We'll check it out. May 5th, yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know, if there's an old school like tag world nft i would jump on top of that so (laughs) if you do get the idea man let us know i mean look it i I saw something somebody said this is the mona lisa of nfts and it was a picture of tom from myspace you know (laughs) and they said this is the mona lisa guys you know because like this is a generation of people who this was their first social friend and I, I kind perfect. of agree. You know, it's sort of the Dogecoin of NFTs. It's hard to beat that. <laughs> yeah. well, guys, look, we've had a phenomenal conversation. We've under so many really right. cool Well, things. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm sure great. Corey did as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. we appreciate uh, you guys coming great, on. Great job and great podcast. Wish you guys absolutely great success. And let's meet, you know, sometime in real life. Uh, you're in Venice, so we can, we can get a grab a coffee anytime. Definitely. Yeah, would love that. We're doing a lot in the space. We want to be part of this ecosystem and just share the type of cool stuff you guys are doing with the world. So, by the way, just to, just to plug, a, a friend of mine is in Venice doing an NFT gallery on Thursday. Is that is that Kurt or someone else? Uh, yeah, no, not Kurt. Sorry, it is uh, Zach. Zach Kelling. I know Zach. I know Zach Kelling. I'll, I'll text him right now. Great. No, I'd love to uh, check it out. It's on Windward. Thursday at 7 p.m. It looks really cool. And they got some Samsung frames, like three or four of them. And they're going to be exhibiting this NFT art. Any listeners, if you're actually, I guess it may be, it may be in the past uh, by the time we go live. But as far as yourselves and your projects, where can people go to learn more about what you're working on? ProtonMarket.com. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any social handles uh, that people can follow? anything on proton so you know proton on twitter okay. proton on youtube I mean, and our, our wallet is the proton wallet on ios and android yeah great 
all the listeners can go there and learn more. Phenomenal, guys. Well, I think we've reached the outer limits of the edge of NFT today. Thanks for exploring with us. We got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something cool, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. We appreciate it. Guys. Thanks again, guys. Amazing time. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great.